Though you hear me speak a great deal about practical Christianity, I do not conceive of the value of impractical Christianity. I don't much like abstract doctrinal ideas. I think they bring about division among us. They are not things we can either prove or practice. And I rather like it like James says. I think we ought to explore some of these things as we have ample opportunity to. But I think it's like James says that faith that is not demonstrated by works is not faith at all. It's dead. And I think abstract doctrinal ideas that we ponder over that have no real value in our lives, I think are things that we can read, leave in the hands of God, and realize that probably we're not going to know too much about those things till we get to heaven. There's a purpose for which they're in the Word of God, and it's to see the magnificence of God, the greatness of God, but it's not always for us to understand every little minute thing, or maybe we're not ready to understand it at some particular time. But I've seen people all get hung up on predestination, and people get hung up on Arminianism, and people get hung up on antinomianism and uh, neo-predestinitarianism, and they're fighting back and forth, I believe this and I be And if you knew which one was exactly right, I don't know how it would change our lives in the slightest bit. It isn't anything you can practice. I mean, what does it mean? I've finally proven that neo-predestinitarianism is right. Now, what does it do? It doesn't do anything. And I think the one thing that the Bible illustrates is when the gospel is in action, something happens. Lives are changed or transformed. And so I like things to be practical. Now, this message that I'm giving tonight in the beginning may sound impractical. The world in which we live, contrary to what our eyes tell us, is not a physical world. There's a physical manifestation that we see and that's real. I mean, this, this microphone is here, and it definitely is real. Now, some people have made a mistake, and they say the physical world is only an illusion. No, it is not an illusion, but it is temporary. It is passing. And so the Bible tells us clearly that the things which are seen, now in other words, with these eyes, the things which are seen are temporal. Now, if we can get into our hearts and minds tonight the transitory and the changing nature of the things which are seen. You look at me today in this present form. You will never again see me in this present form. There are minute changes taking place all the time in my body, in my life, in my face, constant changes in my physical structure. The same thing with your physical structure. A baby is born into the world. We look at the baby and we say, oh, isn't that beautiful? But you can't no way to freeze the baby at that position, and we wouldn't want to if there were. Immediately the baby begins growing. The baby reaches young adulthood, reaches maturity, goes on over middle life and so forth, and it moves all the time physically changing its structure. This microphone, though it does not seem to have changed in a number of years, actually every time we speak into it, it's wearing out and becoming old, and someday it will have no more use and it will pass away. The Bible tells us the physical world, the things which are seen, are temporal. But the things which are unseen, in other words, with my physical eyes, they are unseen. The things which are unseen are eternal. Now, I have learned in this physical world in which I live to operate. 
There are certain laws which I have come to realize that govern my physical existence. There's a certain thing called the law of gravity. And to a large extent, it governs my physical existence. It holds me to the ground. If I want to learn to jump, I have to literally learn to jump. It is not normal for a human to leave the ground. His body is pulled toward the center of the earth. And so gravity holds me down. Very early, I become accustomed to this force so that I'm not even aware of it most of the time. Except when I stop and think about it, I say, yes, I feel it pulling me to the earth. I can feel it. You know, the minute I stop and think about it, I feel the weight on my feet and I know that gravity is operating in my life. I have learned that the ground will support me, the water will support me once I learn to handle myself in it, the air will not support me unless I have very special equipment that will enable me to move through the air. So when I come to the edge of a cliff, I have learned long ago that you do not walk out over that cliff because that same law of gravity, which keeps me very safely anchored to the ground, it doesn't let me fly off into space, that same law of gravity, which is a law of safety for me on the ground, the minute I step out into the air, it becomes a law of danger to me. But it's a physical law. It has to do only with my human body. That law of gravity doesn't operate on angels. They're not bound by it. Nor will I be bound by it when I lay aside this physical structure. Nor, according to the Word of God, will any of us true Christians be bound by it in the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for us. Because the Bible says we will be caught up together with those that are in the grave, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So now, there must be, and this is the point that I'm trying to make, there must be laws in this universe which are not physical in nature. I, having learned to operate by physical laws, discovered that something was missing in my life. I had mastered the physical law. I developed my body to a pretty good, healthy extent. I could lift more than most people could. I was well coordinated. I seemed to be able to see quite well, hear quite well, fairly well balanced. As far as being able to walk or something of this nature, I had mastered physical laws. But something was missing. There had to be another law operating in my life which would make my life complete. Now, you see, if I were merely a physical creature... Then, like an animal, when I had mastered physical laws, there would be nothing more to master. There would be nothing more that would make my life complete. A frog, almost from the time that it hatches into the tadpole stage, immediately knows what to do. It knows how to protect itself. It knows how to defend itself. When it actually finally becomes the little polywog and then the frog, it immediately knows what to do. It is able to hop along and so forth and so on, ultimately reproduce its kind and pass out of this picture. It is merely a physical being, not spiritual at all. Its life is totally fulfilled within its life cycle. It is born as an egg, it hatches out, it matures, it reproduces its kind, it grows old, it passes away, and other eggs are taking place, and another cycle begins, and another cycle begins, and there's nothing beyond that. It is a physical creation. It's live, it's living, but wholly physical. It needs nothing additional to fulfill it. But every human, they're not that way. They're born, in that sense they're like an animal. There's a body, in some sense, you can almost compare it to a monkey's body. Very close in the beginning. But as the human grows up, the physical is not enough to support it. 
It's not enough to meet the needs of that human. There has to be a revelation then, it seems to me, of course, those of us who are Christians understand it to be true, of some additional law that is not a physical law, but a spiritual law. There is a whole body of laws. You shall know the truth. The Bible calls them truth. Other places they're called laws, but they're the same thing. There is a whole body of truth or law that goes all the way from the physical, which is merely a part of God's whole kingdom, all the way up to the infinity of God. And he'll be revealing to us and revealing to us and revealing to us throughout all eternity as he teaches us and teaches us and expounds to us. Now, I am not a physical being. I am not, you are not a physical being. You are a spiritual being. You are meant by God to know God. You are meant by God to contact God, to have fellowship with God, to be able to speak to God and to be spoken to by God. Now, we are a spirit that has been breathed into a body and we have become a living soul. We're not like animals at all. We're not animals. The Bible says God made us in his image and after his likeness. He is not a physical being. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our worship of God may involve the physical, but our worship of God is not physical. It may involve the voice and does involve the voice. For the Bible says, praise the Lord with a loud voice. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But noise is not worship. And voice is not worship. It is the result of worship, however many times. Worship is something in the spirit. And it's the result of a bold spirit, boldly crying out to God. And the physical responds with a loud voice. Or the, the physical responds with the hands raised. But it's really the spiritual man who raised his hands. You see, if you were to take away your body or my body, you would not take away the worship. Nor would you take away the praise. Nor would you take away the adoration of God. In the spirit, we would still be raising our spiritual hands toward God. In the spirit, we would still be shouting the praises of God. Someone says, brother, how do you know this to be true? Read the book of Revelation. Those four living creatures surrounding the throne of God. They did the most peculiar things. Now, I know we have our own ideas, and some people say, well, brother, it ought to all be done decently and in order, and there ought to be no confusion. But what is confusion to us is not necessarily confusion to God. Now, we must be careful to distinguish between the two types of confusion. Now, I don't mean every service ought to be noisy, or every service ought to be loud. There are times when I've seen services, well, not the whole service, but large segments as long as 30 minutes, where a spirit, the word I want to use, the spirit of the living God settled over the congregation and it was like a, the awful presence. And I use that in the King James way. Awe, full of awe, settled over the congregation. There wasn't a baby that whimpered. You could not hear a person breathe. There was silence. It was like what the Bible talks about. There was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. And it was like that silence. Utter silence, and yet not silence of fear or the silence of somebody oppressed, but like God is here. But there are other times when I've seen a happier spirit 
Because the Bible speaks about the Spirit of God as the Spirit of joy and the Spirit of praise. And then people would be loudly worshiping and praising God. And then there are other times I've seen sweep over a congregation of people almost a spirit like the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. People would be weeping and crying all over the congregation. God moves different ways. Now, we are not physical, we are spiritual, and it is up to us to learn how to respond not to the physical laws. I understand those physical laws. I can stand here and generate a fleshly enthusiasm here tonight. You could do the same thing. It can become a self-generated enthusiasm, and I'll tell you how to do it. All we would have to do is I'd say, now, I'll tell you what I want you to do, folks. We're going to get us a song like, uh, There is Power in the Blood. And I want everyone you to stand up with me. You're all ready now. And I want you to take out your ten-string instruments and give them a good shaking now. Come on, everybody. Start shaking your ten-string instruments, everybody. Now, I want to get you physically moving. Come on now. Move, 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 move now. See? And pep it up a little faster, a little faster. And pretty soon we become self-generated. Now, you try this sometimes. You get your hand shaking like this. And then you try to stop it. And you notice when you do it, still tends to... See? It's self-generated. I want to show you this difference. Because we don't want self-generated worship or self-generated praise. We want spiritual worship and spiritual praise. I want it to come from within. I don't want it to be generated from without. I want it to be bold and glorious and loud and long or whatever it should be, or quiet and weeping or whatever it should be. But I want it to move from within of men and women who have contacted God and His Spirit is moving through them. Now, that's what we're aiming at. We are not physical beings. Therefore, there are laws that exist for us that are beyond the physical. There are laws that exist for us that are beyond the intellect. There are laws that exist for us that are beyond the emotional realm. These laws, a psychologist can put down in a textbook if you're talking about the soul. Or they can put down in a textbook if you're talking about the mind or the intellect. But I want you to understand that the laws that deal with the spirit of man have only been put down in this book and they can only be spiritually discerned by those whose eyes are spiritually open. Otherwise, you can't see them or understand them at all. Now, I walked along trying to be a master of physical law, thinking I was living in a physical world, and my life collapsed. And I needed something desperately. This was when I was about 21 years of age. I needed something desperately. And someone spoke to me about what Jesus could do for me. A whole new law existing for me. They told me about a spiritual law. Now, I had always been trained that no two people can be in the same place at the same time. Or no two physical objects can be in the same place at the same time. Here's our brother right here. Steve, would you come here, please? Now, Steve, I want you to stand right here. You stand there. Now, as long as Steve is standing there, there's no way for me to stand in this spot and occupy the volume of air and space that he's doing unless I ask him, Steve, would you move over, please? I want to stand in this spot. He cannot stand here if I'm standing here, and I cannot stand here if he is standing here. That's a physical law. But they began to tell me about another set of laws altogether in which a being called Jesus Christ who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago and walked around in a physical body, had now had that physical body changed into a spiritual body. It was still recognizable. There were still holes in it, still a fear print in it. But now it had 
changed its form somewhat so that Jesus could appear and disappear, walk through walls, was taken up by God into heaven, and that same Jesus could enter into this man called Stephen and live in him, and while he was living in him, that same Jesus could come and live in me. And not only could he live in him and me at the same time, but he could live in hundreds and thousands and millions, as a matter of fact, all that have ever lived, if they would receive him. A whole new law. Now, the person told me if I wanted to invoke this law, I didn't have to really understand it, just to know that it existed and act according to what the Bible tells me to do. And if I would do what the Bible tells me to do, this law would work in my life. Just like I don't have to understand gravity in order to use gravity. Here I am, I'm on the earth, and I know how this law will work. Alright? Now, I have something, and I say I want this table to stick over in this place here. I want to take it from this place, and I want to put it over here. I know that I must put my arms around this table. I know that I must lift it up using some force of my own. I must walk over here, but to have it stick to the ground, I don't have to do anything more than to simply let it down. Gravity will hold it there. I understand that law. Now, I don't have to understand how it works. I just have to know what to do. So this man told me that if I would do something called repenting, in other words, if I would become sick of my sin, my selfish living, my interned attitudes and disposition, and if I would get down and say to God who existed, now somehow that belief came in my heart at that time, to God who existed and would reward me if I would diligently seek him, here he's laying down the terms, the, the boundaries of this law, see? If I would get down and believe in God who existed, diligently seek him, he would reward me. If I would get down and admit to him that I was a sinner and ask God to take the sin out of my life, and if I would open myself up to Jesus and let him come in, that this being, Jesus, would come into me and begin living through me. Now, you talk about something crazy. That's a crazy story. But it's no more crazy than to say an invisible force is existing which pulls me down to the ground. You can't see it. You can't feel it. And not only is it pulling me down to the ground, but it's pulling the earth up to me so that we're both held together. And it's also pulling... The earth is pulling me down to it and I'm pulling the earth up to me and the planets out there are pulling us up to it and pulling them down to us. And I say, but I don't feel anything. I don't... But I accept the law. It's evident to me everywhere. It's working. That's good enough, isn't it? It's working. We say, there's a law of gravity. And everyone says, brother, we believe that too. You don't have any trouble convincing an Englishman there's a law of gravity. You don't have any trouble convincing the Russians there's a law of gravity. You don't have any trouble convincing the Chinese there's a law of gravity. You don't have any trouble convincing the South Americans there's a law of gravity. It's working everywhere. They see it working. But they can't feel it, you know. Where, where is it? He can do like this. Nothing. But you know why they believe in it? Because they see the evidences of it everywhere. I say by the same token, look around you, and you can see the evidences of this spiritual law. Amen? Amen. Look around you if you're here tonight without Jesus Christ and this law has not worked in your life. Look around you and you can see the evidences of this spiritual law working everywhere. 
Here are people who were on drugs. Here are people who were alcoholics. Here are people who uh, have come from various backgrounds of sinning. Not sin. The one sin is selfishness. The one sin is that we put God out of our thoughts. The one sin is that we thought about ourselves. But here is this remarkable, multifarious background, all kinds of people, all races, all creedal backgrounds, all cultural backgrounds, sitting here together, and they've got one common message, that each one of them tried the law, and it worked. Jesus came in, and it worked. Now, I tell you something, if you think the law of gravity is good, <laughs> you let Jesus come in. Hallelujah. It works. Now, I'm saying this to you who may not know the Lord, because tonight you can find him. He can make himself known to you and wants to make himself known. But now I'm saying to the rest of you that are here tonight that are Christians, there are also laws beyond our normal ken. And the reason why I am not able to perceive these laws, laws that are working in this church today, that have taken it from a little tiny church of five or six or seven people to where it's filled, and its influence is reaching out way beyond our little borders. Someone said they like this church because it's a little old funky building and little old funky people, and uh, well, I don't know about that, but this little old funky church is having quite an influence wherever it reaches. Not because of who we are, but because somehow we've taken hold of a few spiritual laws beyond the norm. And we have begun to practice those few spiritual laws, and things are happening. The one thing about the book of Acts that makes it the tremendous book it is, it isn't that they preach any special theory. Philip, a deacon, that was the whole of his office. He didn't have any office, but he understood a few of these spiritual laws. And they run him out of Jerusalem. There was a great persecution at that time. And they ran him out of Jerusalem. He goes up to a place called Samaria. And he starts talking to them about Jesus. And he says things like this. Jesus died in Jerusalem. On the third day he raised again. And now he's living in me. And the Holy Spirit is alive. And he can come down and touch you. And if any of you people are out here sick, Jesus is going to come right now and he can heal you. Now how's that for a gospel message? Now that's really abstract. That's homiletical. That's hermeneutical. That's really laid out. It was ignorant. Except for one thing. The Bible says the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. And the people said, that sounds like the craziest story I ever had in my life, but look, it's working. The sick are being healed. The lame are being healed. The blind are being healed. The halter. Be Something's happening here. Now, wherever any of the spiritual laws of God are practiced, believe me, something happens. Something happens. Constantly happens. Now, these few laws that we have been able to impart to you were in this Bible. The Bible says that God has given unto us all things through this book, through his great and precious promises. And there are no promises he's got out there someplace. Everything that we need that pertains unto life and godliness, the Bible says, where are they right now? Where are they right now? They're right here. They are here. And yet, for years, I read this Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then I went back and I read it again. And I got books on the Bible. 
and I studied the Greek and the Hebrew. Not that I can speak it or read it, but I studied the meaning and the ways the words went down. I studied these things. And yet I read over and over and over again, and I never saw one. These spiritual laws exist. In the Bible, there were men who had gone beyond by the study of the Scriptures. And remember, they didn't have as much of the Bible as we have. The Bible speaks to us in Second Peter saying that all things that pertain unto life and godliness, he has given unto us. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? They are spirit and they are life. Now, this book is so arranged, the Bible says that these things are spiritually discerned, that the natural man cannot know them. The carnal man cannot conceive of them. They are to him foolishness. He can literally read it and he immediately dismisses it as silliness by saying, oh, it can't mean that. And so he just throws it out and he goes right on to something else. And he is only able to absorb of this book that which his spirit is ready to absorb. Now, I'm going to give you some things to practice and to think about for the preparation of your spirit to receive spiritual truth. And I want to say, by the grace of God, I pray, and I feel this is about ready to happen in my own life, that God is getting ready to reveal to me some additional spiritual law which I want to bring to you, but it'll be exactly like Paul said. He spoke to a certain group of people, and he said, a year ago I spoke to you about certain things. You weren't ready to receive it then. Neither yet are you ready now. Now, I don't want that to be the case with you. I want you to be spiritually attuned. I want you to be spiritually prepared to receive anything that God might reveal and to immediately take it and put it into practice. Now, I feel we're very close to a major spiritual breakthrough. A mighty moving of the Holy Spirit, not only in this area, but a breakout from this area. Now, there's a reason why God is giving us the tremendous outreach that we're getting. There's something that he's getting ready to do very quickly at the moment that we're ready to see some additional spiritual law and put it into operation. Now, how do we prepare the Spirit? First of all, I want you to get your mind prepared. You must understand that there are laws and realms which you presently don't understand. You see, some people become satisfied religiously. That can happen to Deliverance Temple. We have pretty good services. They're spiritual in their nature. We feel warm when we're around each other. I don't mean physically, but there's a warm attraction to each other. There's love that is here. And we come together and we sing and then we pray for each other and we preach to each other and souls are saved and we baptize people in water and we see a certain amount of spiritual growth. And if we're not careful, we could harden into a pattern of worship. This becomes our way. And we have now become spiritually satisfied, spiritually sated, and we feel we need no more. And the minute we feel that, we become a Laodicean church who said we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, do you not know that you're poor and miserable and naked and blind? Now, we must not become that way. And we're not that way now. But the danger is that we could become that way by saying, oh, man, isn't this wonderful? Yes, it is. But let us go on, the Bible says, unto perfection. Let us go on. 
Laying aside the foundational principle, let us move on. Now, some churches, the only foundational principle they've got is repentance from dead works. Some go a little further and they have the laying on of hands. Some have a little bit of the baptism one way or the other, one or two baptisms. Or some will even go on to the baptism of suffering. But at some point, the tendency is to become satisfied. Paul said, let us lay these things aside, not even looking at the things which are behind, and press on to those things which be before us. Now, Paul said something interesting. And I'm going to lay down some principles here tonight. Number one, speaking on the subject of tongues. Now, whereas I do not claim to be Pentecostal in the sense of denominationally Pentecostal, I do have an experience of speaking in other tongues. And I believe in the practice, and I practice it quite extensively in my own life. But I don't know if I practice it enough. I don't think I do. There are some here who perhaps do not have this gift as yet nor are you filled with the Holy Spirit as you need to be. But I encourage you to press on to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to speak with other tongues. There's a very real reason for this. Now let's take some of Paul's words. Paul said, rebuking the Corinthian church. Now you can read about this in the 1 Corinthians, the 12th, 13th, and 14th chapters. We won't turn to it now. You take it and read it to see if what I'm saying is right. This Corinthian church had fallen into a habit, a custom, of doing some things which I've seen in modern-day Pentecostal circles. I haven't seen it here, and I wouldn't want to see it here, and I would begin to put a clamp on it, though I don't want to quench the spirit, but I clamp on this. I have seen preachers get up to preach a sermon to people, and they would begin, and they'd say, I'm going to read to you my scripture out of the 50th Psalm, the mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and call the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. And then suddenly they break out in tongues. And they would preach in tongues for an hour, hour and a half. And when they get all done, they say, now let us pray and go home and thank God for the message that we've heard. Haven't heard any message. <laughs> Haven't heard anything at all. Now the Bible says the man who does this, he may have praised God well. But the church was not edified. So when we come together in the church, there is a point of view that I must have as a Christian and you must have as a Christian. Every action of mine must be designed to bring edification to the largest amount of the body of people that are here as we possibly can bring. So when we sing, I wouldn't want to say, now folks, let's all have a song service here. So I get up with my songbook and I back away from the microphone. And I look at song number 272 and I say, <laughs> and I go on another song, another song, and all the time you don't hear a word. Uh, Folks, let us thank God for the wonderful song service we've had, and now we're going to have a prayer service. Now, uh, folks, it's been a wonderful prayer service we've had. Now let's go on to the preaching. Then I preach for an hour and a half in tongues. Then I say, folks, let's thank God for the wonderful service we've had. Everyone go home, be blessed and filled. You say, man, that, I got nothing out of that church at all. Right. Now, I went home, and I might say to my wife, oh, boy, that was so wonderful. I feel so wonderful. Man, I sang, and I praised, and I preached, and I spoke in tongues. I feel tremendous. But I didn't do what the Bible told me to do, which was what? When the church gathers, 
What is to be my thought? Edify the body. Now, people have said that Paul was saying that we shouldn't speak in tongues. Paul never said anything like that at all. As a matter of fact, what Paul really said is people ought to speak in tongues a great deal of the time. Paul said, in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding so that with my words I might edify the body or teach others by revelation or by doctrine or whatever. But he said, I thank my God. Now listen to this. Now remember, this Corinthian church, he was rebuking them for speaking in tongues to excess in the church. Now they spoke in tongues quite a bit. He wasn't rebuking them for speaking in tongues. He said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than ye all. Well, what is he saying here? Why would Paul, this great intellect, so they picture him, this highly educated man, why would he go around instead of thinking, instead of pondering the great mysteries of revelation and using his intellect to perceive the great truths of God, why would he go around not doing that? Instead, he goes around speaking in tongues. Doesn't that sound kind of silly? This great, brilliant mind? No, the Bible says the man that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And the Bible says he that speaks in an unknown tongue in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. Mysteries. The thing that will prepare your spirit and your intellect, and your soul to receive a revelation and an understanding. And there are times that I know that I've been alone with God. I've been seeking him with fasting and prayer and tears or whatever the case may be that I moved with at that particular time. And then suddenly, maybe I've been speaking in tongues all this time, just kind of quietly. And then suddenly it would seem like I would stop, and then I would begin to speak differently somehow. And I would be speaking not understanding a thing that I was saying, nothing. But I'm telling you, I knew something was happening deep down inside my being. Something tremendous. Then sometime, maybe this moment would pass. You know, the Bible says, if we fast in secret and pray in secret, the Lord will reward us openly. And there have been times when I have been standing up and I've been preaching on some particular thing and going over the same basic area that I covered because it was something that I felt led of the Lord to say. And I would come up to some point and suddenly, with no intellectual pondering of the question, because the question had never even occurred to me, suddenly it would be like, here was the question, and here was the whole answer, just in one, there it was. And I would literally, at that moment, take, and it was almost like I was seeing it. I would begin to expound on that subject. And some new law had been revealed to me right while I was speaking to the people. Now, when had that law first entered my being? Sometime back there, when my spirit was in some high state of ecstasy before God. And when it churned around enough and got ready, it appeared to me intellectually. I could speak it to someone. Now, folks, there are some of you who do have the gift of tongues. But I'm asking you, are you exercising that gift in private devotion? Are you exercising it when you're driving the car? Are you exercising it when you're at quiet moments? Are you exercising it sometimes even when you're reading the Bible? I mean, you read a passage from the Bible, you stop for a moment and you're reflecting on it, maybe you speak in tongues for a moment or two. 
I say, you never know when you're saying something here that some answer is being planted deep in your spirit and you're not going to understand what you're reading here intellectually for the moment, but you've spoken the answer deep in your spirit. Now, someone says, well, that sure sounds like something funny to me. Brother, it sounds funny to me that Jesus could live in him and me at the same time, and you and you and you. That sounds funny, except it's true. Now, the Bible says he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not in the men but unto God. I think that's a marvelous thing to be able to do, to speak not in the men but unto God. And the Bible also says he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh mysteries in the Spirit. And I think that's a tremendous thing. Practice your use of this gift. Practice it in a scriptural sense. And your spiritual life will be prepared for the reception of spiritual truth. Now, let's go on to another thing. The Bible talks considerably about fasting. Now, I don't want to theorize too much, and I don't want to get too abstract, but I'll have to get just a little bit abstract at this point. Many of the great revelations that have come to God's children down through the years have come to God's children when they were isolated in some extent, from their immediate surroundings. Now, let me give you some examples of this. The Bible speaks that a man and a woman are not to defraud each other. In other words, they're to give to each other the normal due of the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. There's a certain family relationship that should exist, although sometimes we make too much of it and we make it the whole relationship. That's not correct either. The relationship to God, the relationship to others, the relationship to the family needs to be carefully balanced to be carried out in a proper context. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us that the husband is not to defraud the wife and the wife is not to defraud the husband. In other words, they're to give to each other the normal due. But the Bible says this, except it be for fasting and prayer and that with consent for a time. Now the Bible is talking then about the husband and the wife on occasion that God may lead them for some particular spiritual preparatory time to separate from the normal course of activity and business to separate for a time of what? Fasting and prayer. Now here is this idea of being cut off from the normal communication. Now please notice that our communication with our wife is a very real thing. My communication with you folks of this church is a very real thing. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy having you talk to me. But the Bible is talking about at times that I am to, in order to hear God clearly or to prepare my spirit for some revelation, I am to withdraw from those normal channels of communication. Eating is a channel of communication. Sexual relationships are a channel of communication. Social calls are a channel of communication. Husband-wife relationships, business relationships, all these are channels of communication that fill my mind, that fill my soul, sometimes that fill my spirit with jangling cross-currents. I begin to hear all these cross-currents, and God tells me at times to cut these things off, withdraw from this normal jangling noise, and to find a quiet place. Now, this could be for a day, this could be for a week, it depends on the individual, it could be for several hours. It doesn't have to be 40 days or 90 days or something like this, although in some people's life it could be for 40 days or 90 days or whatever. But I am to withdraw to a lone place with God, cutting off all normal channels of communication. If I've been properly practicing the spiritual gifts that I have to prepare my spirit to be receptive to God, I'm fasting, praying, waiting upon Him, 
and I pick up this remarkable book in which are all the spiritual laws that we will ever need, that we can ever possibly attain to in this life, everything that I will need to transform, everything that I touch is in here, and I begin with an open heart, with the right attitude, the right spirit. That's what I'm saying, preparing yourself spiritually. And I begin to read somewhere out of this book, there will leap a hint of what this law is. Some law that God's... And you continue to read... Somewhere over here, there leaps out another hint. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is a very specific reason. The Bible truth is revealed to us here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. It's God's method of revelation. You don't find a whole truth hardly in any one place with the exception of salvation. You can find salvation bunched right together many times. But almost every other truth of God, you find a part of it here and a part of it here and a part of it here. This is why I tell people, be careful, you younger Christians especially, of taking one little piece of the Bible out here and making a big to-do over it. You need to understand what the whole Bible has to say on a subject before you settle your mind in any one particular. That's why young Christians need teaching. That's why God has set some in the church as teachers. They are there for the reason that they've had some time to peruse the whole Bible, to prepare themselves spiritually, to see the Bible in its contextual whole, and to impart truth to the babes which are in Christ. And so the Bible says, as babes, you should desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, a babe doesn't come, and as soon as it's born, it says, Mother, yes, I want to be a teacher. It doesn't do that. The only thing that a babe desires is milk. And you ought to reach out and say, I desire the word. Feed me. Let me learn how to prepare my spirit. Let me learn how to understand the word of God. And so teachers are raised up by God to impart spiritual truth to people. But what I'm telling you here, hearken to me. Learn how to prepare your spirit to receive spiritual truth. See, it isn't your intellect. Schools have been preparing that for 15, 20, 30 years. It isn't your emotions. People have been trying to tell you how to be well-balanced emotionally. Most people never achieve that without Jesus Christ. But I'm not telling you how to be intellectually prepared because you can't understand God's Word at all by your intellect. Nor am I telling you how to be emotionally prepared because you can't understand it emotionally. There's only one way you can understand the Word, to be spiritually prepared to receive truth. Now, it's an interesting thing, and I've seen this before. We're getting ready to expound more on this. I've seen myself expound on some subject. I think some of you wonder, well, Brother Durkin, why do you take some truth here and you expound on it? And then you expound on it. And you expound on it. And you go sometimes six, eight, ten weeks on one truth. And then you'll leave it and you'll take another set of truths and you'll go along here. And then you'll take another set and you'll go along here. And then, you say, and then suddenly you come back to this one and you start teaching it over again. Didn't we get everything out of it the first time? Well, I practically didn't get anything out of it the first time. That's the truth. You heard the ring of truth you said, yeah, man, that's true. But you haven't learned to practice it. Well, just the other day, two or three people came to me when I expounded on a subject that I'd expounded on at least seven, eight, nine times before. And some of them said to me, wow, I got it. I understand what you've been saying. Six times I said it. Why didn't they hear it the first time? Because spiritually they were not ready to hear it. So the work of Christians, then, is to prepare ourselves spiritually to hear truth. Now, that's why some Christians who have been saved 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years are still spiritual babies. 
They have never learned to hear anything except to hear intellectually, to get their emotions stirred, and they greatly value a preacher who can come on and say, Bless God, we're here tonight. That's a real plan. Praise the Lord. Now I want everybody to get Amen, brother. See, and everyone says, Woo, praise the Lord. I feel it coming on, brother. Now wait, that's emotionally stirring you. What I'm saying to you is this. I want you to learn to prepare yourself spiritually to hear truth. Once you hear it spiritually, everything you touch in your life will begin to prosper and bear fruit. And what he told Joshua? He said, meditate in my word day and night. Turn not from it to the left hand or to the right hand, that thou mayest prosper in whatever you do. Amen? What did Joshua do? He had mastered spiritual law. So he walked up to the river Jordan. They had to cross this great river. There was a great flood tide. Now, spiritual law. He knew how to enter into that spiritual realm and learn what God needed him to do. Spiritual law. He simply told the priests, he said, pick up the ark of God. Box certain measurements. Pick it up, put it on your shoulders. He said, I want the high priest to go before you. And he said, walk down and walk across the river Jordan. What? Whoever heard of that? Do it. But the Bible says they believed him. And they put it on their backs. And they got all of Israel lined up behind them. And they started marching for the water. And the Bible says, when they walked toward the water, when the sole of their foot touched the brim of the water, Jordan was cut off in its headwaters. And it separated. Stood up in a great heat. And they walked across and the Bible says that these priests and Levites walked out and stood in the middle while Israel passed by. That was a flood tide, piling up and piling up. Or maybe it didn't pile I don't know. But he completely in the middle. And they stood in the middle, and Israel passed by. And when they passed on the other side, Jordan flowed back again. Spiritual law. Now, we can say, oh, I think that's myth. I think it's God. I think he understood spiritual law. Same thing with Jesus. Man ran up to him, said, Lord, look, I've got leprosy all over me. Eating me up. Fingers are gone. My ears, terrible shape. My eyes. But Lord, I believe if you want to, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be clean. And the Bible says, he's made whole. Spiritual law. Now tell me something. Do you think that what this world needs today is a return to seeing the great spiritual laws of God in operation. The whole world is waiting breathlessly for God's sons to begin to move and to manifest his power and his glory. Now I think any effort you make and any effort I make to prepare myself spiritually to behold those laws which are beyond my head to understand is going to be well worth it. When we see the thousands upon thousands and maybe millions upon millions, that will find Jesus Christ because we have touched him in a more vital way than we have before. Amen.